for a moment, and then he said, right after the rains in April, the teacher said, now, is that what your history book teaches you? Johnny said, nope, but my mama says April showers bring Mayflowers. (laughs) We certainly have had our April showers this year, haven't we? It's been crazy lately. Uh, But now it is time for our Mayflowers, and this month of May is uh, such a beautiful time. The sun is, is coming out, the weather's getting warmer, the, get, the grass is getting greener. It's my birthday, of course, some great things are coming along. But it's also a busy time as well. JP has been putting a lot of thought into our stateside mission trip. We've got a lot of things going on this summer, and there's been so many people that have been getting that together. Uh, it's been such a busy time. There's brides that are getting weddy, ready for weddings, and... There's also a lot of us that are getting ready to graduate. And that's what our senior class of 09 is doing tonight, our senior guys. And we appreciate this opportunity so much to be able to conduct the worship service here tonight. If you would be turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, we'll be touching on that this evening, Luke chapter 15. While you're turning there, I'll go ahead and introduce myself. My name is Clay Batts. I'm 17 years old, and I'm a senior at Wilson Central High School. And tonight, Jamie Williams and myself have been given the opportunity to speak uh, tonight to, in tonight's service. And we were given the choice to talk about any, any topic that we wanted to. And one thing that always stands out to me all the time is the topic of unconditional love. Unconditional love is such a great thing. Unconditional love deals with loving someone just for who they are. Not what they're about or what they do, just loving them for who they are. And so tonight, that's what we're going to be talking about is unconditional love. And of course, one thing that comes to mind biblically about unconditional love is the parable of the lost son. And that's what we're going to be focusing on this evening. So in the beginning of chapter 15, you can look in verses 1 and 2, we, we read that the Pharisees and scribes are complaining uh, when Jesus is receiving and eating with the sinners. And when Jesus sees the scribes and the Pharisees complaining about this, he sees an excellent opportunity to explain to them why we need unconditional love for one another. He sees this excellent opportunity by showing parables. There's three different parables in Luke chapter 15. And one thing that's really cool about this is all these parables are designed to to teach the simple lesson of every soul is precious to God, even yours. And so tonight, in Luke chapter 15, the three parables are laid out in this order. And it's kind of cool the way it's set up because... On each parable, the emphasis gets a little bit better and a little bit better. And we'll look at that tonight. The the very first parable that we see is of the lost sheep. This is where there's a hundred sheep and one goes missing. That's one out of a hundred. That's one percent. And that's dealing with animals. The second parable is of the lost coin. There's ten of them and there's one that goes missing. That's one out of ten, which is ten percent. And that's with materials. And then the last parable, the most important, dealing with the soul. It's one out of two sons. That's 50%. And it's dealing with souls. This is another way of saying that every soul is precious, even you. So let's all open our hearts and minds tonight as we study Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24, about the parable of the lost son. Let's go ahead and start in verse 11 and 12. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. If you notice in verse 12, 
you can see that this is a selfish request of the lost son, of the young son. You can see where he says, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. He's requesting this about himself. But you can see that his father is gracious. As soon as he asks, he gives. The father has poured his life into building this estate up. And as soon as the son asks, he gives it right to him. After pouring all this in, all his life. The sad thing is, the young son didn't have the right mindset when asking for these possessions. All he wanted was to please himself, to have these possessions. He wasn't really wanting the father's love, he was just wanting these possessions. So he gives thanks to himself, basically, and not to his father for for the possessions. Let's go to verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. So the young son takes his father's possessions and leads his life into wickedness. He leaves behind his morals, as we, can, as we can see, with these possessions, because as soon as he goes, he spends all of it. He obviously has a good time, and we know from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, that sin is pleasurable, and that this son has a good time with, with the possessions that he's received for the wrong reasons. Verse 14, we can see the reality of sin's pride start to click in. Eventually, he runs out, out of the possessions that he's been given. Everything that once seemed good, is now starting to shift. It's starting to turn the opposite way of what he expected. As we can read in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, we realize that sin separates us from God. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. So we can see that from this, the, the lost son has sinned. And he separated himself from his father and the heavenly father. We know that separation from, separation from God, sin is separation from God. Every time we sin, we get one step away from God. Every step that we take away from God in sinning, we're going to have to make that step right back up. And it's harder to get up than go down. It's harder to, be, it's harder to get up than be pulled down. And that's why it's so hard when trying to come back to the Lord. If you'll turn with me to James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. We've already had the scripture read this evening. and It was so capably read. And tonight, in this verse, we can see sorrow. The son realizes that he's lost everything now and that there's a severe famine that's taking over. And he begins to feel alone. He realizes that his possessions are gone. And he has sinned because of his own desires. He's enticed by these desires. And once the desire has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. He's sinned. And when it's full grown, it brings forth death. This is a dangerous situation to deal with, especially when Satan is on your side. When Satan's on your side, he can make tricks seem, seem so easily accepted. He makes things that look good terrible. We can follow those things that he gives us, these tricks. We're, we're very gullible when, we're, when he's on our side. Because everything that he puts before us looks good, but in turn it's really not. 
and it tears us apart. Verse 15 and 16. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. So we can see from this that sin brings forth shame. The son goes from having a great family, being with his father and his son and his uh, brother, to feeding the pigs. He can see the shame start to set in. He sees the pain. He feels the suffering. He's not with his father anymore or his brother. And through all this, he must suffer with sadness to get back. Verse 17, we can start to see a turn of humility. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The son begins to remember how great it was when he was at home to what he is now. That's just like us today. Something can happen in our lives. We can make a mistake. We can sin, and something's going to happen, and we're going to remember the good times like it was when it was back to normal. And something's going to hit us. We're going to get a wake-up call one day and remember how good things were, and we're going to want to come back no matter what it takes. And this is what happens in this parable. And he, he can also see that his father's servants were in better shape than he was himself. Uh, because of his desires that he was enticed with and he sinned against. And Satan will tell us to live it up. Satan will put everything he can before us to make us sin, to make us fall short. He'll do everything he can to make us slip up, to make us fail and sin. But we all know that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's just read for us tonight. As he capably read that as well. And the step, we always have to realize that we are sinners because that's the most important step in realizing that we're, we're all sinners. We have to realize what sin we're dealing with and we have to figure out solutions to get over that sin. And we can't do it unless we take time to look deep within our heart and see what we're made of. In verse 18 and 19, we see the plan of action that the son is unveiled. He decides to return home because he realizes his unworthiness And he's willing to go home no matter what. Just like we can go home to our Heavenly Father after we've sinned and we we realize what we've done. And we're ready to change, just like this son. One thing that really stands out to me, and I think it's one of the most important parts of this parable, is in verse 19 where it says, about halfway through, Make me like one of your hired servants. If you remember at the beginning where we talked about how he was making a selfish request, saying, Give me, and he wanted it just for himself. But then in verse 19, you you can begin to see the shift change where it's the heart of a servant, someone that's willing to come back. Make me like one of your hired servants. I think that's a big, big change and an awesome example in this parable. Because he's confessing his wrongs, he's repenting of his sins, and he's turning to his father. He's ready to go back home. He's ready to make his life right. In verse 20, and he rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, 
and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. So the son is heading home, and he's not sure if he's going to be rejected. He's not sure what's going to happen. He, does, he has no clue. He just wants to be home because he remembers how good it was, how great it was being back home. He just wants things to be back to normal. The Spirit of God will make the end of sin so real and the salvation Jesus offers so glorious that we'll do anything to get back to him. It's all about coming home. Have you done that tonight? All about coming home. His father was longing and looking and living for his son's return. He was so anxious to see his son again. He was so excited to see him coming back. He was so grateful and thankful for that. We can see this through his love and compassion and grace. Just by the way that his son was off in the great distance. And yet he still went to him and threw his hands around his neck and kissed him and welcomed him back home. And we have to realize that God is the exact same way with us. We're going to make mistakes and we're going to sin in our life. But we can always come back to God. We'll, we can start making our move towards him and he will accept us no matter what we've done. Because he's a loving God and a forgiving God. And he wants all of us to go home with him in heaven. He doesn't want any of us to perish. Verse 22, we see that the father welcomes him just like normal. He doesn't make him start over again. He doesn't criticize him for anything that he's done. He simply gives him the robe, the ring, and the shoes to make everything seem just like normal. Like nothing ever happened. That's just like how God will be for us. We're going to have to be willing to admit that we've sinned. And we've got to change. We've got to turn 180 degrees and be on fire for God. And he'll help us through it with his guidance. Verses 23 and 24. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. Again, he was lost and is found and they began to be merry. So instead of a wasted life that could have happened, this son could have just continued in his iniquities and sin and kept living the life of a sinner. But no, he had that wake-up call. Something pricked his heart to make him realize that life was so much better back home. He got that wake-up call, and he decided to return home to his father. How many of us tonight are going to hear that wake-up call, are going to get that wake-up call, if we've been living in sin and having struggles, are going to come back to the father? How many of us are willing to do that? No matter where you are in life, there, there's going to be struggles. And it's, it's, it can be hard at times. It can be so hard to be a Christian. In fact, it can even be harder when trying to live a Christian life because so many people are looking up to us and seeing what examples that we're setting. And I also have a story with me tonight about unconditional love. A story is told about a soldier who was finally coming home after having fought in Vietnam. He called his parents from San Francisco. Mom and Dad, I'm coming home. But I have a favor to ask. I have a friend I'd like to bring home with me. Sure, they replied. We'd love to meet him. There's something you should know, the son continued. He was hurt pretty badly in the fighting. He stepped on a landmine and lost an arm and a leg. He has nowhere else to go, and I want him to come and live with us. I'm sorry to hear that, son. Maybe we can help him find somewhere else to live. No, Mom and Dad, I want him to live with us. Son, said the father, you don't know what you're asking. Someone with such a handicap could be a terrible burden on us. We have our own lives to live, and we can't let something like this interfere with our own lives. I think you should just come home and forget about this guy, and he'll find a way to live on his own. At that point, the son hung up the phone. 
The parents heard nothing more from him. A few days later, however, they received a call from the San Francisco police. The son had died after falling from a building, they were told. The police believed it was suicide. The grief-stricken parents flew to San Francisco and were taken to the city morgue to identify the body of their son. They recognized him, but to their horror, they also discovered something they didn't know. Their son had only one arm and one leg. The parents in this story are like many of us. We find it easy to love those who are good-looking or fun to have around, but we don't like people who inconvenience us or make us feel uncomfortable. We would rather stay away from the people who aren't as healthy or beautiful or as smart as we are. Thankfully, there's someone who won't treat us that way, someone who loves us with an unconditional love that welcomes us into the family forever, regardless of how messed up we are. Tonight, before you tuck yourself in for the night, say a little prayer that God will give you the strength you need to accept people as they are and to help us all be more understanding of those who are different from us. It's such an awesome story about unconditional love. It really makes me think every time I read this how, how judgmental we are as a society and how, how quickly we come to conclusions about people and how um, unconditional love is such a great thing. Even if you don't know somebody, that doesn't mean that we need to judge them right away. And we can all challenge ourselves to be better at that, at uh, loving everybody that we come in contact with. And um, from this story and from the parable that Jesus taught us, we've learned so much about un- unconditional love and to love everyone uh, that we meet or come into contact with. And no matter where you are in life, it's, it's going to get tough. Things are going to come in our way. There's people that are going to come in our way. But we've got to get over these times. Maybe you've been having a difficulty with trying to come back home because you're afraid of what people may say. Maybe you're afraid of what people may think of you, of maybe something that you've done in your past. But friends, God knows everything about us. He knows everything that we've done, everything that we're going to do. There's no, there's no trick in God. He knows everything about us. Remember that God will always be there to accept you and me, whatever we're going through, because he's a loving and forgiving God, as was mentioned earlier. No matter what's been going on, God is always going to be there, willing to accept us, open, open arms, willing to hug us and bring us back home whenever we need. He's always there for us. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given to us. Father, we're just so thankful for, for the parable that we studied tonight. Father, we're so thankful for your son and for the example that he sets. Father, we're so thankful for, for him showing us how to love one another, how to show an unconditional love through these parables. Father, we're just so thankful for, for everything that you do for us, our blessings that, that, that we receive from you, Father. We know we don't deserve them. Father, we thank you for the, the graduates this year, class of 2009. Father, we just ask that you, you help us to make the right decisions as we move on in our lives. Father, we just ask that you, you guide us and, and show us wisdom and, and, and your, your almighty power, Father, wherever we go, and help us make, to, make those right decisions. Father, please be with the remainder of this service and let it be in accordance to your word. And Father, just be with us always and keep us safe until the end. We thank you for letting your son die on the cross for our sins. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. The scripture before uh, Jamie's lesson will be from 1 Timothy 4.12. That's found on page 1054 in your pew Bible. 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, 
in spirit and faith and purity. What comes to mind when I say the word hero? A lot of things probably come to mind, but uh, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines a hero as a mythological or legendary figure, often of divine descent, endowed with great strength or ability. As a child, most of us probably thought of superheroes as being heroes. Uh, Superman, Batman, X-Men, all of them. Uh, Clay and I were apparently really big fans of Spider-Man, but uh, that's a whole other story. You can ask about us later if you want. Uh, But as we grow up, we realize that there's more to being a hero than superpowers. We see soldiers, policemen, firefighters, and all sorts of other people. We think of them as heroes every day. But there's usually one person that we don't think of as being a hero, and that's ourselves. But everyone in this room tonight is a hero to somebody. Um, The younger children, they're heroes to their younger siblings. Teenagers are heroes to the younger kids in the congregation. And parents, believe it or not, you're heroes to your children. But what makes us heroes? There's not really anything special about any of us. We don't really have any special powers or anything like that. From what people see, we're just normal people. But isn't that what makes us a hero in the first place? It's what people see. It's what we say, the things we do, and the people we hang out with. It's essentially, it's the example we set that makes us a hero to other people. Well, we know that being a good example to somebody is important, but what makes a good example? What do you have to do to be a good example for somebody? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 12, I'll read it again. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. This is a, very gen- this is a general description of what it takes to be an example. Now we're going to break down the verse and go into it in depth and find out what it really means in the very core, what it means to be a hero and an example to others. Now the first part is speech. Speech is a big problem that uh, America is facing now especially in the media areas, censors are allowing more and more into the media every day, and uh, not just as far as language goes, but sexuality and violence also have increased, you can see in just the past few years. Um, Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Ephesians 4, 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We go throughout the streets, we go to work, and you can roam the halls of a school, and you'll hear gossip and rumors and cursing. And it is very, very rarely, personally I've never heard any of this stuff be anything positive about anybody. It's always been used to tear people down. And that's the exact opposite of what Ephesians is telling us right here. But not only is tearing other people down bad for other people, it can also be bad for our soul. Turn to Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. On judgment day... 
we're going to have to give an account for everything we've said in our lives. And we need to make it a mission in our lives every day to do the things and say the things that we know are right so that on that day we can stand at the gates of heaven and hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant, now enter in. But of course, words are one of many ways we can be an example. Another is our lives, the way we live our lives, or our conduct. Turn to Titus chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. In teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Here, we see that Paul is talking about encouraging young men. As Christians, it's our job to live lives that are encouraging and positive to everybody who looks up to us. If we live according to the world, we can go out and party, do whatever we want, without thinking once about what the Bible says about these activities, and not once thinking that they're harming people in other ways. It's setting a very bad example. The old saying goes, do as I say, not as I do. Once you get to a certain point, this phrase doesn't work anymore. Because the people you're telling that to are going to grow up. And if they see you doing those things, what's going to be going through their head is, they're doing it and it's not hurting them, so I'm going to do it too. So as we can see, this phrase, in the long run, is not a very encouraging phrase. It only hurts in the long run. But a good way to encourage people is to show love for them. Turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Here we see that by showing love, we can show others God. And if they know you care, if you show love for these people, and they know you care, they're willing to open up and listen to you about God and the gospel and the news of Jesus Christ. But if you don't show them love, you're not going to have any respect, and you're not going to have a relationship with that person. And without a relationship, there's no way you can uh, open the door to talk about God And then you end up with a missed opportunity because you simply didn't show love towards that person. But by showing love, we can easily show our faith. Turn to Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. It's saying here that we need to have a life that is grounded in the word of Christ, that is grounded in the Bible, and our fa- that is grounded in our faith in God. We shouldn't have to meet people face to face for them to know we're Christians. As it's saying here, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. Someone should be able to ask another person about you, and the person responding should be able to easily say without a doubt, that person is a true Christian. And he also says, don't be frightened by those who oppose you. He doesn't say, those who may oppose you. He of all people knows that there are people who oppose our beliefs, 
and are going to want to challenge us on everything. But uh, the best way we can defend our faith is to always be ready to give an account for it. We always have to know what we believe and why, no matter what. And it becomes a struggle to stay pure when those opposing us put pressure on us to do those wrong things. And that brings us to purity. Turn to chapter one, or 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 22. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're called the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then here in 1 Timothy, it's telling us to keep ourselves pure. We have to resist the peer pressure that's given to us every day. Do not share in the sins of others. Every day we're faced with people who challenge us to do things we know are not right. But it's our challenge as Christians to overcome those and show others the strength that God gives us as Christians. The, the strength you have to resist peer pressure and to stay pure can be a shining light onto other people and it can help them find their own strength. If they, say you, if they see you having the strength that God gave, gives you to stand up for what you believe in, they can be encouraged by that example also. But all of these things, uh, being a good example in speech, in life, in love, in purity, all of them have one thing in common. They start with a mindset. It's all a mindset to be more like Jesus. You have to set your mind on doing these things in order to make them happen. They're not just going to happen individually. You have to have a mindset to be more like Jesus. Another definition of a hero from Merriam-Webster's dictionary is a man admired for his achievements and noble qualities. Well, it seems like Jesus fits this description pretty well. He was a servant to others always. He healed the sick and even raised the dead. As far as noble, well... He died on the cross for billions of people that haven't even been born yet because he loved us. And I would venture to say that a lot of us here would be willing to die for the people we love. But I would imagine very few of us would want to die for people we don't know and much less millions who have never even been born and we will never know. But Jesus did. And that's why he is the ultimate hero and example to all of us. The definition back at the beginning, a mythological or legendary figure, often of divine descent, endowed with great strength or ability. Well, Jesus certainly wasn't mythological, but he is a legend of sorts. And he came from God, and he has great strength and abilities. He can help you in any way you need, if you keep your faith in him. Maybe tonight, some people haven't followed the example that Jesus set, and been baptized into him and put Christ on in baptism. If that's so, we would love to help you take the first step tonight. Maybe some of you feel that you haven't been as faithful as you once were to God. Or you feel like you haven't been being the example you need to be. Well, what better way to start being a good example now than to come forward and have us pray for you as a congregation. If there's any way we can help you, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.